Hello, and welcome to the Bikini Bottom of It. This is our podcast in which we analyze SpongeBob SquarePants for symbolic and metaphorical meanings. I am Daniel, one of your hosts, and this is Jose. We're so grateful to have you join us once again. Today, I will be acting as a critic of Jose's arguments about Bubble Stand, the fourth episode of the television masterpiece. Um, so I'll begin with a brief summary of the episode. Uh, last week, for those of you who are returning, Jose uh, read his episode summary from Wikipedia, and it was beautiful, Jose. It was really good, dude. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I, I don't know why you're saying thank you. It was Wikipedia, but I'm incredibly mad about it. So <laughs> I wrote... To whoever's listening, go ahead and put, like, you know, a couple dollars uh, to pitch into Wikipedia's fund. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're fundraising again right now. Oh, man. Or save it for me. That's an option, too. But uh, I'm, I'm going to try to match the level of just heat that they brought with adjectives. Uh, yeah. So I, I spent too much time on this, but I'll, I'll go ahead and start my summary of the episode. In a clear and beautiful morning in Bikini Bottom, floral clouds dripped lazily overhead. The panapular residence of SpongeBob SquarePants enters our frame. The front door opens, revealing our indomitable saffron sponge. SpongeBob inhales deeply, noting the quality of the day. Scallops chirp and the sun beams down. SpongeBob walks to the road's edge and begins an obstreperous construction project. Squidward, from his window, shouts at SpongeBob to reduce his volume, and SpongeBob obliges. And I, uh, I can't, I can't do it with the adjectives. They've beaten me again. But uh, honestly, I closed my eyes and I was there. Yeah, I felt myself being there. Yeah, yeah. I Dude, actually had to swim up for breath. I'm so glad. But uh, to the viewers who don't want to deal with my obnoxious attempts to prove my worth, uh, I'll just finish up here, I guess. So ba- yeah, basically SpongeBob uh, waits while Squidward gears up to, to jam a little on his clarinet. And uh, once, Spon- or once Squidward rather is good and going and uh, playing his clarinet, SpongeBob seizes the moment and finishes his whole construction project that he's doing out in front of his house. And Squidward like sprints to the window uh, to yell at SpongeBob again for being too loud while he's constructing. But he's super surprised because SpongeBob's fully finished with this bubble blowing stand. Like it's literally a lemonade stand, but for blowing bubbles. Uh, and Squidward like wonders out loud from his window what kind of idiot would pay to blow bubbles. And uh, of course, naturally, that that provides us the entrance for Patrick Starr, uh, who definitely would play pay for the opportunity to blow bubbles. Uh, so. Uh, Patrick runs over to SpongeBob's stand and asks SpongeBob to borrow a quarter and SpongeBob fronts him a quarter because Patrick can't afford it uh, to blow bubbles and Patrick passes the quarter back to SpongeBob. SpongeBob bites it to check if it's valid. Yeah, so Squidward returns to playing his clarinet at this point and Patrick like nearly dies trying to blow a bubble. Uh, And SpongeBob says he also is offering bubble blowing lessons for 25 cents. Uh, and again, the quarter is borrowed by Patrick and returned to SpongeBob, and uh, the lessons begin. SpongeBob runs through the technique for blowing bubbles that goes, uh, and I I rewatched this episode a god awful number of times to get this in order. Uh, it goes: <laughs> spin, stop, double take three times, pelvic thrust. You shout "woo woo," and then you stop on your right foot. SpongeBob notes that this is particularly important. You then bring it around town and do this, that, that, and then this. And then you blow a bubble. And uh, if you follow this technique, SpongeBob demonstrates that you can blow bubbles that are incredible sculptures. He blows a uh, bubble duck and duckling, followed by increasingly artistic bubbles for Patrick's entertainment. And this culminates in a bubble elephant. To scale, a full-sized elephant shaped like a bubble. Or a bubble full-sized bubble shaped like an elephant. 
uh, which enters Squidward's home through the upstairs window and creates a blaringly loud outburst uh, of elephant noises. And Squidward exits after this happens. He's pissed. And he comes through his first floor and just lays into SpongeBob and Patrick. And SpongeBob explains the difference between bubble blowing and bubble art at this point because Squidward's making fun of them for bubble blowing and SpongeBob's explaining that what he does is bubble art. And Squidward continues to bully SpongeBob and uh, Patrick until they both abandon their bubble stand and like dejectedly just walk into spongebob's house and once they're gone squid actually kind of i think realizes that he doesn't he hasn't blown a bubble in a while or he doesn't know how uh and he takes an interest and he grabs the bubble mix and the wand to blow a bubble and like instantly like jump scare levels of instantly spongebob and patrick are back at the stand to charge him money squidward uh kind of jumps and he decides he wants to pay for it and he hands SpongeBob what appears to be a counterfeit quarter uh, because SpongeBob bites it and it bends in half. I don't know why. I thought that was the funniest thing when I was watching the episode. Like, did he that, just like, commit ins- a felony? Yeah, like insult to injury. Not only does Squidward like not know how to blow a bubble, he gives them fake money to pay for it. <laughs> um, and SpongeBob has to pretend like he doesn't notice that it's fake money. But basically Squidward decides to try to blow a bubble and he totally fails to do it. And SpongeBob and Patrick pretend not to notice. Uh, But Squidward decides not to go down without a fight. So he just starts lugging quarter after quarter onto the table and attempting to blow bubbles. Uh, As he's running through the bubble juice, SpongeBob and Patrick are just like screaming at him from the stand that technique is the, the key, right? And he finally blows up and starts yelling at them about how ridiculous like that is as a concept, which I think technically he's correct about, but, uh, He's like berating them and he's making fun of their technique by doing it. So he goes through SpongeBob's whole technique while he's yelling at them. And after the last step, he like has this outburst where he screams into the bubble wand and he blows this beautiful, perfect sphere of a bubble. And it's so large that the size of it actually lifts him off the ground before it breaks free of the bubble stick. And SpongeBob and Patrick are just marveling at the sheer size of this bubble while Squidward maintains that it wasn't technique. (laughs) Uh, He says that it's in his genes, his phenomenal genes. And he re-enters his house to SpongeBob and Patrick, just like worshiping and cheering him. And he begins to play his clarinet. And he's just like basking in this this beautiful uh, praise that he's getting from them. But as he's doing so, the bubble settles onto his house and it it grabs it and it it carries him into the sky as he's playing. Um, And he sees himself ascending out of the window of his house and spongebob and patrick are bidding him farewell and uh, he floats up into the heavens and the bubble pops and it drops squid back to earth and i have literally in a bullet point here it drops him as one rejected from heaven it brings us to the end of our episode so jose uh, wow you are up for making the argument please go ahead and awesome. enlighten us as to the meanings thank you so much i think that was one of the most beautiful things i've ever read at the end he dropped as one rejected from heaven good old icarus making his way back Thank you. Um, Get your heart out, Wikipedia. <laughs> so my contention, Daniel, is that this episode deals with creation and the art of creation. So what I'm going to do okay. in this episode is I'm going to go through the motivating factors and philosophies of both SpongeBob and Squidward in terms of the creation of art. Their philosophies are totally different. In this episode, we're going to look at both, but we're going to spend a lot of time on Squidward. So starting from the beginning... Um, when SpongeBob, he comes out and he goes to work, right? He starts building this shed, this this beautiful structure 
uh, you know that he had been thinking and planning it for a long time, right? In the background, he must have probably drawn up a plan. He planned the business side of his business venture, right? So on a quick aside, the free market is is alive and well in Bikini Bottom because when he acts upon it, he ferociously works to create his vision. Thus, in a sense, Daniel, the bubble stand was already there. The stand was always there. SpongeBob is literally just bringing it forth, sort of like, wait for it, Michelangelo. In my case, I will contend that SpongeBob, right, that 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 the creators of this show contend that SpongeBob was Michelangelo, right? Michelangelo, who, according to Wikipedia, my my good old friend was an Italian sculptor, painter, architect, and poet of the High Renaissance, born in the Republic of Florence. And it keeps on going. He exerted an unparalleled influence on the development of Western art. Um, several scholars have described Michelangelo as the greatest artist of his age and even as the greatest artist of all time. He is responsible for sculpting Pieta and David and painting the Sistine Chapel. So he's one of the most respected artists and sculptors of all time, but we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about Michelangelo. Today, we're going to talk about his philosophy of creating art. Of his process, right, Michelangelo said this: these things. Every block of stone has a statue inside of it, and the task of the sculpture is to discover it, right? Um, this foreshadows Sponge, SpongeBob's later episode of when he actually creates a marble statue. Mr. Niles Parker said this, For Michelangelo, the idea was already there inside the hunk of stone, whether by divine providence or his own imagination. His eyes and hands were merely the vessels by which that idea, the art, was brought forth into the physical world as he or God or both originally intended. So we can see that SpongeBob is Michelangelo in this. SpongeBob all of a sudden is a a master craftsman. And not only is he that, he is a master bubble blower like Michelangelo would. He blows these beautiful, intricate designs, elephants, ducks, and he does it without any sort of stress or exertion. It just comes forth. Where there's not any kind of exertion, I'm not saying there isn't technique as he soon shows Patrick. SpongeBob actually has a complicated multi-step approach to blowing these bubbles that he tries to teach. There's moving and dancing and contorting in the creation of the bubbles, which reminds me actually, Daniel, of another Michelangelo quote, where Michelangelo and or SpongeBob said this, the greatest artist has no conception which a single block of stone does not potentially contain within its mass, but only a hand obedient to the mind can penetrate to his image. He does the work, he is obedient, and the creation comes forth. Thus, I will posit here that SpongeBob represents the height of mastery and craft, the supreme goal, right? So if, if he did podcasts, he would be so much better than us, right? <laughs> what do you think about that so far? <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> I'll edit this out, I promise. Frick, give me a second. (laughs) Yeah, uh, so... (laughs) I think this is a pretty airtight case. Oh, gosh. Alright, um... I have no objections just yet. That seems perfectly, uh... At least conceptually acceptable to me. I'm interested to hear what you think Squidward's... 
sort of parallel is uh, as a an opposition to this or as a foil. Um, but so far, I'm very on board. That is actually a perfect segue because I was just about to get into that. Oh, good. Because the story completely changes when Squidward comes onto the scene, right? Mm, so okay. after he shames SpongeBob and Patrick for their beautiful works, he ends up deciding to, to, to try to blow a bubble. But he fails spectacularly. He tries and he tries again, even after SpongeBob tries to help him in goodwill, and he cannot. Eventually, in anger and in mockery of them, Squidward does a technique that SpongeBob taught him, but pent up with frustration when he creates that giant bubble, right? It, it turns into this huge thing and it goes away. But later on, this huge mass comes back and picks up his home and there's an explosion off in the distance, which reminds me of a quote by Charles Bukowski, who was a German-American poet, novelist, and short story writer. He wrote thousands of poems, hundreds of short stories, and he actually wrote 60 books. And this is his quote, my dear, right? Imagine Squidward saying this, find what you love and let it kill you. Let it drain you from your all. Let it cling onto your back and weigh you down into eventual nothingness. Let it kill you and let it devour your remains. For all things will kill you, both slowly and fastly, but it's much better to be killed by a lover. I posit that Squidward is the personification of, of this idea by Charles Bukowski, right? While he did not necessarily love bubble blowing what he loved was art and he wanted to be the master of all art so he found that love right which expresses itself in painting and clarinets and and in uh, bubble blowing in this episode and he puts everything in his will to create this thing this massive bubble and it carries him away and it blows him up right so the end of the episode right he, at the end of the episode, after his house is carried away and it explodes, the the last notes of the episode are his destroyed home, yet in the rubble, he's still playing his clarinet with broken, slow, and painted notes as his house is in shambles. But it turns out that this quote was fake. You liar. I'm going to have to pull a quick plot twist because a long time ago i saw this quote it might have been the thing that introduced me to to bukowski he, he's a he's a personal favorite of mine i've probably read three or four of his poetry books and in preparation for this podcast i actually looked up the quote and it turned out he never actually said this thing i went out into a, like a two-hour rabbit hole to try to find out who who actually said this quote can, uh, can you guess who actually said this? Um, I can't. Who is it, Jose? See, you can't because the person that said this thing goes by the name of uh, Kinky Friedman. He mm. was an American singer, songwriter, novelist, humorist, politician, defender of stray animals, and former columnist for Texas Monthly. That's so, quite a resume. <laughs> in a random interview, they asked him, and he's actually like super well-known, which is like random. I never heard of him before. Mm. Um. In just this random interview, they asked him about his, why he, how he creates, and he just said, find what you love and let it kill you. But 
all things considered, I went to a deep dive into Kinky Friedman's lifestyle, and he's living a pretty good life, right? I think it was like the New York Times or LA Weekly that that went to his house for like a holiday or something, and he was like chilling, right? So it, it raises a couple questions about the nature and the philosophy of art, right? There's this cultural view of art being the destruction of the artist. Find what you love and let it kill you, which SpongeBob here uh, in the form of Squidward seems to be mentioning. Why, my question is, why did they choose Bukowski, whose poetry is full of drunkenness, thoughts of suicide, nihilism, to be the originator of this quote and not Kinky Friedman, who lived a pretty good life, all things considered? Why do you think that that is? Uh, I think because the, the quote feels maybe inauthentic from Friedman. But, yeah. Um, are, when you're saying they, why did they choose? Do you mean the creators of SpongeBob by intentionally setting us on this path? Yeah, mm. exactly. I don't know, Jose, why did they? So in my position is this episode is painting two dichotomies, right? Mm-hmm. One is, is, the, is the passionate, the master artist, right? That creates for the sake of creation, for the sake of beauty. And the other one is, is the artist that is so passionately obsessed mm. that, that it drives him to the point of death. Find what you love and let it kill you. And there's two choices, right? At the end of this episode, SpongeBob goes home and Squidward is in shambles. My contention, it's us creating two different views of the nature of art. And mm. and I think maybe even a slight critique on how a lot of people think, right? You know that trope, the tortured artist, right? To be a creator, to, to create, you have to be tortured. You have to struggle through things, right? But Steven Hillenberg and the creators of this episode are actually creating two strands, two pathways, right? Where one artist goes home and the other one is destroyed at the end. Like hmm. someone rejected from heaven, as you said. So in your, in your estimation, then is the, the idea that Hillenberg and team are suggesting that SpongeBob's way is the right way? I don't necessarily know. I think, hmm. I think it's just presenting two options and one is, is laying bare the truth that a lot of people do go down that self-distraction way. Maybe, maybe this is offering a better way. Be like SpongeBob. Don't be like Squidward. See, it's interesting because I'm I'm inclined to almost follow this path to your of your argument to Squidward being the cautionary tale, right? The one who you're exactly. supposed to look at. But I I tend to disagree with that. I, or at least I I think there's an objection to be had in that Squidward has the highest highs. Mm. SpongeBob at no point becomes one worthy of worship. But Squidward, I mean, he's praised. He's he's brought up, uh, and I I'd, I'd sort of say that that at least complicates your argument. No, I think it would. But I actually now in this point, I want to introduce a different poem that was actually written by Bukowski on the nature of writing, right? Because I think that this way is a better way, right? And and I think it's the argument. I think it's the question that this episode. Uh, posits because i don't necessarily think it's telling a story i think it's raising a question and so it's kind of a long poem so i don't want to read the whole thing but i want to read this part and so the name of the poem is uh so you want to be a writer and he says if you have to sit there and rewrite it again and again don't do it if it's hard work just thinking about it don't do it if you're trying to write like somebody else forget about it 
If you have to wait for it to roar out of you, then wait patiently. If it never does roar out of you, do something else. If you first have to read it to your wife or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your parents or to anybody else, you're not ready. Don't be like so many writers. Don't be like so many thousands of people who call themselves writers. Don't be dull and boring and pretentious. Don't be consumed with self-love. The libraries of the world have yawned themselves to sleep over your kind. Don't add to it. Don't do it. And, and here we go. Unless it comes out of your soul like a rocket, unless being still would drive you to madness, don't do it. Unless inside you, unless the sun inside you is burning your gut, don't do it. When it is truly time and you have been chosen, it will do it by itself and it will keep on doing it until you die or it dies in you. There is no other way and there never was. So my positing is that actually SpongeBob's way is the better way because he did it for the sake of it. For SpongeBob not to do it, for this master creator not to do this thing, it would have destroyed him. As can be shown from when Squidward was berating them and they went home in shame. Hmm. It's not that they wanted fame. He literally set up the stand on the side of his house. So I think the theme of this story is is actually, I'm, I'm going to change the background. It, it's not asking a question. It's saying the answer. SpongeBob's way is like he goes home. Hmm. And I think that's that's the answer. He goes home. He gets another day. The idea being that his lack of self obsession, but his his dedicate his Michelangelian dedication to the art exactly sustains. I that fits so well actually, and I agree with you. I think at least that Hillenberg's making the argument that it's better to go home. As a man who went home many times, I mean Hillenberg would have known that it's possible to be a, an elevated artist and still you know live your life. And I mean Squidward, you know, as can be evidence from his life. Yeah, exactly. And Squidward, you, there's no denying that, I mean, Squidward is definitely self-obsessed. I mean, the man yeah. had somewhere near, what was it, like 500 self-portraits in his house? Absolutely. So even you at that could. highest high, it, the only thing he was experiencing that highest high was really his own, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, a confirmation or a, a support of his exactly. own self-satisfaction. Confirmation. Exactly. Hmm. Exactly. So I think at the end of the day, the answer is go home, go home, <laughs> go home. And, you know, it, it, it kind of makes me think about this for us, right? We're here creating who knows who's who knows if anyone is going to see this thing. Uh, who knows if anyone is going to see anything I've ever written or listened to anything we've ever said. But not having done this would have been worse than to put this thing out. Right. Right. I posit that like Hillenberg contends and Bukowski contends and SpongeBob contends that not creating is more like death than death. That's beautiful. And I think it hits me at home, dude. That's, that's gorgeous, dude. And I agree with you. I think there's a, a, a powerful lesson we learned there. And it's as though, you know, once we had this idea, I think it was always going to happen because we couldn't leave SpongeBob unplumbed. You know, and in exactly. the same way, when you see that brick of marble, whatever that brick of marble is in your life, listener, get after it. Don't leave it. Pursue it. Yeah. Make that art. But don't let yes, it consume exa- you. Exactly. Do not let it be the thing in and of itself, but let your love for it create it. So yeah. I think I think if you're chasing beauty, why not find it in this podcast, right? Stay yeah. stay a while. Um, look at our previous episode. Um, subscribe, like, follow us on Instagram. Um, follow Twitter. us on Twitter. 
um, anything like that, right? Because we are we are plumbing the depths of this of this late 20th century, early 21st century show in order to try to find the philosophical and symbolic meaning behind every minutia of an episode. And we're bringing that truth to you. And uh, it's a lonely time. Use this as an excuse to reach out to that friend or loved one and uh, text them our podcast. And, you know, we'll love you forever. We want to thank everybody who's been shouting us out on Instagram. Um, All of those those beautiful responses that we got in our our DMs and our message boxes of people just being encouraging and so friendly. Uh, We love you guys to death. And um, yeah, I think as, as we close a little bit of just gratitude to all of the people who have been helping us out. Uh, we'd like to thank in particular our friend Flower Francis. You can find him on Bandcamp uh, for that gorgeous intro music that he gave us that gets us into that introspective mindset. And just his his Instagram page, Beautiful Flowers, is a, a great way to connect with the, the beauty of nature while you're trapped indoors. Um, but yeah, guys, just just appreciate you and hope that you can, you can spread the love. Jose, do you have yeah. anything to, to say before we close? Um... Find your block of marble.